it's so good to always see that parking lot overflowing and the seats uh, filling up. And so uh, it's very good. Um, I, I, I need to do a better job of getting stuff on the announcement sheet, so I apologize. But uh, we are looking forward to, uh, we've, we've worked out a rotation between Jimmy, myself, and Ben. And so, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, Ben will be at the pulpit at this at this hour, and he will bring us a he'll break the bread of life to us. And I know that he'll do a great job. Um, the love that uh, Carolyn and Ben have already demonstrated towards each one of us uh, that they uh, we can see it sincere love, and so we hope that they can see that in us towards them um, as we together grow and. Uh, in our faith, uh, each and every one of us. I also want to let y'all, the women know that uh, Ida Gates had uh, contacted Angela and they're going to have a Women's Day and she gave y'all plenty of notice. It's in October, I believe the 14th and she'll be the speaker. And so if we can support her, um, they, they, were, they were able to make it out to our gospel meeting in October and they uh, had visited us. Uh, I don't remember, it was around the car show is all I remember uh, last year. And so that would be a good thing. Um, I want to say it's Eastgate, but I'm not 100% sure. Angie says she'll get that information, but I, I'm mildly shaken. I think I have that right. It's Eastgate. It's in uh, the Pensacola area. And so anyways, I just wanted to make those couple announcements, um, but it is so good. We're going to continue our study in 1 Peter. I don't want to spend too much time just rambling because I'm going to try to finish chapter 2 today. Uh, this will be part 3. Um... And so we're going to go back to the verse that we started at because we only had gotten to that first half in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, where Peter writes, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. And so we as Christians are not to be unruly. We are to submit to the law of the land. Now last week we had looked at the exception of that would be if the law of the land makes something contrary as Christians and tries to invoke that on us that we are to bound ourselves to the law of God first. Put him first always. But what about speed limits? Well, it's the law of the land, so yes, we are to obey speed limits. Paying taxes, yes. Uh, I remember working with a man, and uh, he could quote a lot of scripture out of the Bible. But guess what he didn't do? Pay his taxes. And then he lost his job from the Postal Service all those years of that he had put in 30-plus years of service and he was end up, uh, and he ended up in federal prison over it. And so he he had the firm belief that we were not to pay taxes. And we're going to look at that this morning. And Jesus never told us not to pay our tributes, our taxes. But why are we to do this? In Romans chapter thirteen, verses one and two, when Paul's running to the church at Rome, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be ordained of God, and whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves down the damnation. And so if we break laws, then we are sinning against God. If we were unruly, that is resisting those in authority continuously, then we are damned. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, he says it's for the Lord's sake. That's that Christian manner of life is to be holy. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, be holy for he is holy. 
that God may be glorified, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, when he says, be, have your uh, conversation honest be, uh, before the Gentiles, that God may be glorified at the time of visitation. Most laws are not to our harm. They are to make a society of order. In Romans chapter 13, verses 3 and uh, 4, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And so uh, most of the time, those ones that are put in leader, uh, leadership uh, things, they're not bringing uh, laws to uh, put you in prison if you're doing things right, but to the evil, if you're breaking laws. Which wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do not that which is evil, be but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Breaking laws have consequences, and God wants those consequences to be carried out because he is a minister of God. Paying taxes help maintain the great nation that we have. We always, A lot of times we say in our prayers, what a great nation that we have. Well, in order to have this great nation, it's being funded by our taxes that we pay. Romans 13, verses 6 and 7, for, for, for this cause, that just don't look right, for, for this cause, pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 he says, because the king is as supreme. Now, he's not supreme to God, but he's in supreme of the land. For us, it would be a president. He is the highest in our land. We may not understand it, but God put those in charge for a purpose. And we have to respect it. We have to respect it for God's sake, for the Lord's sake. Romans 13, 3, verse 4, because it says he is the minister of God. God can use rulers to bless a nation, and he can use them to punish a nation. Let's look at Pharaoh. Remember, remember when the children of the children of Israel entered into Egypt. And so we're looking at, at that time, it wasn't known as the nation of Israel. It was known as the family of Jacob. God used Joseph to help Pharaoh's kingdom become the world power. Uh, with that, through that famine and putting God, God got Joseph elevated in the kingdom. And so Pharaoh in return blessed the children of Israel. Genesis 47 verses 5 and 6. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, the best of Egypt, Make thy father and brethren to dwell in the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of any activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And so Pharaoh gave them the best land. However, it was God blessing them. God, through his providence, got Joseph in the land of Egypt, being sold as a slave by his brethren. God brought about a famine to get the rest of the children of Israel into Egypt. In Genesis 50, verses 20 and 21, 
when Joseph is speaking to his brethren, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And so they were going to uh, thrive in the land of Egypt. God had a purpose. That purpose was to develop a great nation while being protected by the world power at that time, the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. God is developing that great nation that he had promised to Abraham. To this point, the children of Israel were in a state of comfort. They would not desire to leave such a land. God had a different purpose for the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out, up out of the land unto a good land, and a, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. How would God set this plan in motion? Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. A new pharaoh became ruler, and why would the children of Israel have a desire to leave the good land of Egypt? <coughs> Exodus chapter 1 verse 11. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. Now remember, the taskmasters came about because this Pharaoh said, we've got to stop the population. We've got to hinder them from, from reproducing. They're growing mighty. And so that's when these, these tasks were, were given to the children of Israel. And so they were hoping to slow their, their population, but God was in control. Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 But the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied and grew and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. God used the same nation to both bless and to afflict his people. Why did God allow the Gentile nations to conquer the nation of Israel and Judah? In Leviticus chapter 26 verses 13 and through 15 I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be their bondmen. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. But if ye will not hearken unto me, and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhorred my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant. They're going to break his statues. They're going to go into idol worship. Leviticus chapter 26 verse 33. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 26 and 27. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it, the land of Canaan. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. 
and the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. God's in control. God afflicted his people because of their evil ways, their, them despising his covenants. <coughs> the nation of Israel would be carried off into Assyrian captivity. Then God used the Babylonians to punish the Assyrians, leading Israel and Judah in the Babylonian captivity. Then God used the Medes and Persians to punish the Babylons, Babylonians and led them, the Israelites into Medes, Persian captivity. Then God used the Grecians to punish the Medes, Persians, and led the Israelites into Grecian captivity. Then God used the Romans to punish the Grecians and led the Israelites to be ruled by the Romans. Through all these, God was pleading with his people to what? To repent and to come back to him. During the time they were ruled by the Romans, God sent his son and established his kingdom, blessing all nations on the earth, of the earth, the final promise to Abraham was fulfilled. The Jews used the Romans to crucify God's son, and God used the Romans to destroy Jerusalem, the temple, and the Jewish records. We had talked a little bit about that in class this morning. In Mark chapter 13, verse 14, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. Then let him that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And so we, uh, Jesus is, is telling them about the destruction of Jerusalem. Luke 21, verse 20. And when you shall see Jerome, uh, Jerusalem compassed with armies, and so we know what the abomination of desolation was, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. What army? Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. Whereas... Lightneth cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And so the coming of the Lord at this time was through this army. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will be eagles be gathered together. The eagles signified the Romans' armies. It would be the Romans who would encompass the city, and the Christians were told to flee to the mountains. And uh, Josephus in his writing said that no Christian lives were lost during that time. But if you also read Josephus, some terrible things came against the Jewish people at that time. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, we finally made it to verse 14. Or on the governors, as on the them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. And so uh, this would be equivalent to our judges. Remember, uh, they would make judgments on if laws were broken or not. Remember Felix in Acts 23, verse 24, and provide them bees that they may set Paul on and bring him safe on the Felix, the governor. In Acts 23, verses 27 through 29, this man, this was the, the, the letter that was written to Felix, this man was taken to the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause, wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And so he is sending Paul there so that they could figure out if there was something worthy to charge Paul with. And so he was going to go before Felix the governor. And so he's, uh, the chief captain was, was sending him to be examined or judged. If one is found guilty, then they are punished. 
Remember, Paul was going to be set free. But because Paul made his plea to Caesar, they used the Roman army to get Paul safely to Rome. Because at that time, there was those vows being made that they were going to take the life of Paul and that they would not eat or drink until they were uh, true of it. And so if one is found innocent, they are, they are set free. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put the silence to ignorance of foolish men. Being a law-abiding citizen is the will of God. If we break the law, we are a sinner. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Your manner of life will counter false witness. When they don't have the facts to back up what they're saying, it's going to make them look very foolish. In Acts 16, verses 19 through 21, and when her masters saw that the hopes of her game was gone, this would have been the lady that had the, the evil spirit. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace on the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And so Paul and Silas taught the truth. These men were upset because Paul cast the unclean spirit out of the woman and they lost their way of income. And so they were trying to have them punished, trying to bring up false witness against them so that they might even be put to death. Paul and Silas would later be released by the magistrates. However, while in prison, the Philippian jailer and his household obeyed the gospel and God was glorified. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. What made Christians free? John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said on that day, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. <laughs> what were we made free from? Romans 6, verse 7. For he that is dead is free from sin. Peter said we are living stones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Why does Paul say Christians are dead? Well, we, we talked about this greatly in, in uh, Jimmy's class, and he's doing a great job on it in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, and so we know that we're dead with him, we believe that we shall also live with him. Well, when did this occur? Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are what? Buried with him. We are dead with Christ. By baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in newness of life. And so those sins that are washed away in the the baptism waters, when we come out, we have that clean slate. We are, we are a new creature. It's that obedience to the gospel, one is buried in the baptism water, dying to sin and raising in life. You, you die, to, die to self, you die to sin, and then you, you raise as those lively stones, living stones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Not using your liberty for a cloak... I'm not even going to try it again. I got, I got it once. 
New Christians may be under the assumption that we are free from all laws. Remember we were talking about those babes in Christ. In Romans chapter 7 verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that you should bring forth fruit unto God. And so if you just took this out of context, you would say, well, we're dead to the law of the land. But the law mentioned here is the law of Moses. And so if the law of Moses is, is dead, you can't be married to it no longer. Uh, Paul talks about the relationship of man and wife, how when a woman's spouse dies, that she's no longer bound by the law of marriage. And, she's, uh, and so she's not bound to her husband. We are now married in a covenant relationship with the law of Christ. The law of Christ says to be subject to all authority. Don't have the mindsets of the Pharisees. In John chapter 8, verse 33, they answered him after he said, the truth would set you free. That Their response was, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How saith thou, ye shall be made free? Did they forget about the Assyrians? The Babylonians? The Medes, Persians? The Grecians? And currently the Romans? Jesus was speaking spiritual freedom. John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus saith to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. If you want to be made free from being a servant of sin, you obey the gospel, and then you start living for God, and you quit living for self. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so we'll take a look at honor all men. In Mark 12, verse 31, when, when that man asked, as we had saw in our uh, invitation on Wednesday night, what were the, the, what's the greatest commandment? Well, the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And so how can you honor all men? You love every man as they're yourself. And... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says, love the brotherhood. Well, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, John writes, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth love his brother also. And so we are to love our brothers. We are not to be, Christians should not be each other's enemies. We should be looking out for one another. First John chapter 3 verse 17 But whoso hath this world's good, and you might even, God might have blessed you very well, and you see if his brother have need, he may have things that he, he, he requires. And we know that the requirements are uh, food, raiment, and shelter. Shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. And so if we see a brother or sister in need, but we say, oh, no, no, I'm not going to help them, then we have shut our bowels of compassion from them. And then how can we truly say we love our brothers and sisters in Christ?
but only help our brothers and sisters in Christ? Is that what we've been commanded to do? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, when Paul's writing to the churches there in the area of Galatia, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. But notice, especially unto them who are the household of faith. There are, we should look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ first. But we are to do good to all men. Verse 17, uh, he, goes, uh, he goes on to say, Fear God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man or the whole duty of man. And so if we're going to fear God, then we're going to keep these commandments. Well, he's already laid out that we are to love our brothers. We are to keep the laws of the land. Do you fear God? Love your fellow man. It has been commanded. Do you fear God? Love the church. It has been commanded. Do you fear God? Respect the one who holds the office of the supreme and obey the laws given. It has been commanded. But the last one's honor the king, and so fearing God's kind of, kind of, in between the two. You, you you love the you 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 obey the commandments to your common men, but then you're going to also obey the commandments of those that have been put in charge. First Peter chapter two verse eighteen: Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. This is not slave and master that was experienced in this country. Uh, taking slaves against their will. Uh, remember when we studied in the book of Exodus, how would one become a servant? In Exodus 21, verse 2, if you thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. And so he's serving for a uh, range price uh, based on debt owed. But notice after six years, that debt was paid. Why were they purchased? 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be the bondmen. And so he was he sold himself to pay a debt. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 2. But there were that said, We are sons and our daughters are many, therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. They were sold by their parents in need of money. But it says that you are to be subject unto your masters with all fear. Uh, they were to have reverence to their masters. They showed reverence by obedience. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, <coughs> excuse me, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. They were told to have reverence to their froward masters. Froward means crooked. So don't only do it to the ones that treat you well, you also do it to the ones that don't treat you so well. And so application, how can we make application? We are employed, we have bosses, we are to show reverence to our bosses, whether they be good or bad. First Peter chapter two, verse nineteen: For this is thankworthy. 
If a man for conscience towards God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. That word thankworthy means acceptable. Acceptable. And what is acceptable? Being subject to a bad master or a bad boss. That froward. God commands us to be subject unto them and respect their position. A froward master boss will cause us grief and we will suffer for right doing. That's why they're crooked. They're not, they're not good and gentle. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what glory is it if when you've been buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. If we do wrong, we must accept it being reprimanded. We are receiving punishment for disobedience. However, if we are reprimanded for doing right, that is acceptable with God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. <clears throat> first Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Because for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. The gospel called us to live holy lives, live that others will persecute us for lives that will that others will persecute us for. First Peter chapter two verse twenty-two. Well, Jesus gave us a, a an example. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Hebrews chapter four verse fifteen. The writer writes. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so he was tempted just as we are tempted, but he had the, the will and the mindset to only do God's will. Neither was guile found in his mouth. He had no deceit in his mouth. Jesus only spoke truth. In John chapter 12, verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And so if the Father is telling him what to speak, and that's all he's speaking, what is, what is the Father? He, he cannot lie. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And so if Jesus is speaking the words of God, and God cannot lie, then the only thing that Jesus ever spoke was truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus didn't speak evil of his accusers. He didn't threaten those who harmed his body. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Many times we will murmur and complain about those that are in charge, but when we murmur and complain, we are murmuring and complaining against God. The only opinion that mattered to Christ is what his father thought of him. And that's really what we need to get in the mindset. We need to quit worrying about what people think about us and what God thinks about us. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hearing ye him. And so God was well pleased with Jesus Christ. 
We should, should, we too should not care about what man thinks, but what God thinks about us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. He agreed to do the will of the God of will of God. In John chapter 10, verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so here we can see that God says, it's your, yours to lay down and your, or not to lay down. You have that ability. Jesus chose to do it. In Matthew 26, verse 39, and he, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, that, that cup of suffering. We can see the humanity side of Christ, him being 100% man, 100% deity. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Even though his body was weak. Remember, right before this, he told them to stay watch. And when he came back, they were asleep, and he said that your body's weak. Jesus' body was weak too. But he overcame it. Jesus was obedient to death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, when Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of, of the cross. Great humility comes into being a Christian. And he was made a sin offering for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where he hath made him to be sin for us. He was a sin offering, atonement, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Romans chapter 5, verse 7, 8. For scarcely for a righteous man one, one will die. Okay? And so most people aren't going to even die for someone that's righteous. Yet, per, per venture for a good man, some would even dare to die. And they would, they, would, they would give it consideration. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for who? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the what? The ungodly. That's why we remember his death every Lord's day. Because the perfect lamb died for the ungodly. Why, do you, why are you obedient to those that are put in charge? For the Lord's sake. First Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For ye were as sheep gone astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. We were safe until we came to the age of accountability and sin ruled in our life. That's what Jimmy was talking about this morning in class. Then when we went away from God, because sin separates us from God, Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2, we became spiritually dead. John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, the ungodly. See, the ones that come into obedience are become his sheep. 
when you, we come to that day of judgment, he's going to separate what? The sheep from the goats. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, gave his life for the sheepfold or the church, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 and 25. Jesus is the head overseer of the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and hath put all things under his feet, God has, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so we don't have a council that oversees the churches of Christ. We don't have a pope that oversees the matters of the churches of Christ. We have Jesus Christ as our go-to. And how do we go to him? Through his holy scriptures. How do we know if we're being pleasing to God? Because we're following the scriptures. And so this morning, if there's any here that are not a, a sheep, if you're not a part of God's fold, we invite and encourage you to do so this morning. It starts by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, so that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith is, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We read about all the miracles that are in this great book that Jesus did while he was on earth. And the Bible tells us that if, if they were to write everything that he did, the, the, book would not, the world would not be able to uh, contain those being written. But in John verses 30 and 31, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Because the Holy Spirit witnessed that he was who he said he was. And then when you realize that what Jesus did, he died for the ungodly, and if you're in sin, you're ungodly. That should bring about that um, godly sorrow that work is repentance. You should not want to live for self, but live for God. Live for Jesus Christ because he gave his life for you to give you a hope to be with his father one day. And so that's repentance. But Jesus says, without it, you will perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then you must confess. Well, why would you not want to confess him before everyone? But you must make that confession made on the salvation before men. We find a great example of that in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 37. Before the eunuch was baptized, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8, 37. <clears throat> and then at that point, Philip, both him and the eunuch went into the water because what is, what is baptism? It's a burial. As we had seen this morning in Romans Six, you must be buried with Christ. You must become dead to sin. And then when you come up out of that, the Ethiopian unit went on his way rejoicing. <laughs> Why? Because you're no longer the ungodly. You are a sheep. You're no longer lost and without hope. You have the hope that is only found in Christ. And guess how you got into Christ? Through baptism. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For as many of you... Uh, have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. And then you must live faithfully to the end. That was the problem with the nation of Israel that we were talking about in class. They didn't keep God's covenant, so finding fault with him, with them, he made a new covenant. And you can be part of that covenant, as Ben had mentioned earlier, the blood that was shed was for this covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, he purchased his covenant. 
and he purchased the church, which you'll be added to at baptism, Acts 2.47. And we must love faithful, Revelation 2.10. But with God's extended mercy and grace, if perhaps you have strayed along the way, if perhaps you have found you have a lead foot and you speed quite often, you can always go to God for prayer and ask for forgiveness on that behalf and repent. You just slow it down. <clears throat> but that is the law of the land. We must, we must be mindful of it. Even little things like that could cause us to lose our soul. And so we just need to keep that in mind that God told us to be subject to all authority. If we can help you in either way, you come to the front as we together we stand this thing.